1: You say you're good enough. You'll take your chances when you stand before the Almighty. Well, as we'll find out today, that is a very scary proposition because God says there's none righteous, none good. end of the day, all have fallen short of the glory of God, each and every one of us. Oh, you can stand there and say you'll take your chances, but God's Word, the guy you want to take your chance with, tells you that you better not do that. You're going to fail. And that's what the Apostle Paul is laying out for us here in Romans 3, verses 1 through 20. None righteous, none good. Here's Pastor Gary, and today's Abounding Grace.
2: It's not pleasant at least for some of us, to look at ourselves in the mirror. It's even less pleasant to think that when we look at ourselves in the mirror and our judgment of ourselves really doesn't count. God calls us before his majesty. It doesn't matter what other men may think about us. It doesn't matter what we think about ourselves. It matters what he thinks about us. It matters what his judgment is. And we see it laid out so plainly here in verses 9 through 10 that even a child can see themselves in God's mirror. All of the world, Jews and Gentiles, no exception in these verses, this is what we are unless God comes to us By his grace and has mercy upon us in Jesus Christ. And there is no escape. There's no pretending. There is no excuses. Oh, you can try, but it is pointless. God's purpose in giving us the truth about ourselves in his word is to shut our mouths and to shut them tightly. Now we might think to ourselves, but we're Christians. We don't need this miserable description. Do we really have to go through this? The Holy Spirit says we do. Because remember Paul didn't write this to the emperor that is at Rome. He wrote this to the church that it is at Rome. And I think for two reasons, actually maybe three. One, he is giving a complete overview of the gospel And a necessary component of that is dealing with sin and facing our true condition. Secondly, we are never as believers going to love Jesus Christ devotedly and sincerely. And we are never going to lay aside our pride unless we are continually brought back to what we are in ourselves. Not that we stay there by any means. It doesn't do any good to stay there in that state. But seeing that we don't have any righteousness, seeing that in ourselves there is no goodness in us, none before God, and it is Him with whom we have to deal with, not one another. So what do we do? We run to mercy. We run to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we cling to His cross You know, low views of sin and low views of Christ always walk together on the road to destruction. As long as we pretend that we're not all that bad, there's some little bit of good within us. And you know, that is the American lie, which is really the universal lie. As long as we go down that trail, it will lead us straight hell so even though we are our love is icy cold toward the Lord Jesus Christ in terms of what we ought to be if we are going to see that love grow if we are going to see our desire for him grow if we're going to see the strength of holiness grow in our lives we need to be brought back regularly To look real clear at what we are in our sinfulness. Why? So we can have a proper view of the curse that he bore for us on the cross. Show me a man who doesn't think about his sins very much. Who doesn't repent. Be he ever so faithful in the life of the church. Show me a man who isn't isn't often before the cross so that he can be holy. Seek righteousness and obey God. And I'll show you a weak man, a frustrated man, a man who is always beating his head against the wall, wondering, what's wrong with me? And as he thinks, oh, there must be something wrong with that preacher. There must be something wrong with that church because I know there's really nothing wrong with me. Lies, lies, lies. But when we go before the Holy God and see our sinfulness in the light of His majesty, and then we look at that cross and we see what the Lord Jesus Christ bore for us, then love flowers from there. Then desires, uh, desire flowers from there for God. Then faithfulness flows even as the blood flows down the cross. The third reason as Christians that we need to look at this passage is that it destroys any notion, or at least it should, that when we stand before God, we are going to be able to recount any good that we did And it is that that is going to bring us favor with Him. Beloved, God doesn't love us and He doesn't save us in Jesus because He knew there was going to be any good in us at all. Because, you know well, there is not. He doesn't look down and say, wait a minute, that person is going to be real fruitful in Jesus and for the kingdom. That person is going to be real godly. So I think I'll save that person, seeing what they will become. No, we as Christians stand at every moment in as much need of Jesus Christ and His cleansing blood and His righteousness as we did that moment when we first believed. Without His mediation, without His intercession, without Him standing at the right hand of God for us, as the surety of our soul, the anchor of our soul, Yahweh, our righteousness, our faith is overthrown in an instant. We have nothing with which to bring to God. Now this does several things to us. One, it stops us from despairing, for the wrong reasons there is a lot that as Christians will despair and despair over, such as our deficiencies and over this and that and the other. But if we are not careful, that can become some kind of self-atonement scheme. Well, if I really feel bad enough, then maybe God will accept that. But God doesn't accept your tears, beloved. God doesn't accept your bad feelings about yourself. In fact, you cannot feel badly enough about yourself. If you go out from here and you blow your brains out, even though you did not feel badly enough about yourself, since Judas went out and hung himself, we might say, boy, he must have Felt really low then. No, that was actually the height of his pride when he hung himself. You see, we've got to get rid of any notion of ever thinking that rather our goodness on the one side, which is non-existent, or our tears on the other side, which are oftentimes crocodile tears or prideful tears, that these have any weight at all before the majesty of God. They have no weight at all. The only thing that has any weight before God is the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we were going to open God's heart to us, when we read a passage like this, it's like William Grinnell said in his book, The Christian in Complete Armor, just go ahead and stick your neck right on the chopping block if you want God to be favorable to you, if you want him to be merciful to you, if you want to open his friendly side, as Luther would say, then you put your neck right on the block and you say, it is as if I crucified Christ. I did betray him. My life is a mess. My family is a wreck. My marriage does need help. There are all kinds of loss teeming in my heart, and I need the mercy of God in Christ. And there's one other little thing that does for us when we realize it's not by any works of righteousness, which we have done, but it is according to God's mercy that he saved us. And that is when we do see goodness in our lives, when we realize god helped me to tell the truth even though it was going to get me into trouble god helped me not to look at that filth even though they were itching in my I mean, there was itching in my heart and i wanted to but he came to me with power and he helped me not to do those things and i did love my wife a little bit better this week or oh, it wasn't what it needs to be But God is helping me improve. I did keep my mouth closed instead of trying to run roughshod roughshod over my husband verbally or emotionally or sexually or any other way. I did submit a little better this week. I did obey my parents. Now granted, my ears are still clogged with the wax of sin. But there is some opening there. There was some good in my reaction to these things. I saw it. This passage teaches us something miraculous and marvelous. It teaches us that God came down to us and walked with us. And that his grace labored powerfully in us. So seeing his hand in our lives, what do we do? Oh, beloved, we rejoice. God dwells in us. He did this. I didn't because there's none righteous. No, not one. God did this mighty work in me. God raised me from the dead. God is working in me to will and to do His good pleasure. And He did it. You see, we would have a lot more joy as Christians if two things were true of us one if we had a more honest view of ourself that leads us to seek his mercy and two, having sought that mercy we then look for God's mighty hand to come to us and make us fruitful and holy and righteous and then when we see his hand we would realize hey this is even better than Jesus walking on the water. This is even better than the mount of, mount, of, mount of This is better than Lazarus walking out of the tomb. For this is the living God coming to dwell with sinners, changing sinners by his power and doing in them what they cannot do in themselves. Glory. Glory be to God's name. And then when it comes to the Lord's Day, you don't need me to cheer you on for worship. You have seen the hand of God. And you can always tell those who worship God from those who come to see a show. Because they don't need the show to get them excited about worship. They have seen God's hand in their lives, in their marriage, and in their families. So we need to look at this passage of scripture, but we won't do it in great detail because it pretty much speaks for itself. Oh, it is so clear. It teaches us, as Paul says here, first of all in verse 9, that the Jews have had the advantage of the oracles of God. But then he asks, are we any better? I think it's interesting that he includes himself in this question. But earlier, when he came to the benefits, he doesn't include himself. He's very humble, very teachable. You know, he didn't want his countrymen to think there was any reason for pride being a Jew. And he answers the question in verse 9, What then are we better than they? No, in no way have we beforehand provided. And by the way, that's the sentence Of a court. This is a very legal condemnation. Paul speaks here of God. He is God's advocate in a court, and he says, We have already proved that both Jews and Gentiles together are under sin. And what is it to be under sin? It is to be dominated by it. And by the way, again, this is both Jew and Gentiles, this is everybody. And there's no escape hatch for any of us. There's no privileged group to which this doesn't apply. This is all of mankind, fallen in Adam, under sin, controlled by it, dominated by it, loving it, unable to escape it, influencing everything, all of the thoughts and imaginations of the heart. There is none righteous, no, not one, sold under sin, in bondage to it, Unable to save ourselves. Now, of course, we don't want to admit this. The world is going to howl and scream. Maybe some of us are howling and screaming today. But there is only one thing that can lift the darkness. And that is the word of God has got to enter into our hearts and minds. And take away the clouds and the veil and the steel curtain that keeps us from admitting the truth about ourselves. So that we might seek mercy. Because beloved it is freely offered to us. You don't have to earn it. You're never worth it. God just loves to save sinners. And then as saved sinners, you can seek holiness of life out of gratitude to him. Not out of fear and guilt, but out of love. Not some kind of dread of hell. And what is God doing, Paul doing here? He just gathers together all these lines of evidence from the Old Testament. Now these passages that he quotes in verses 11 through 18 are not from one place they are from throughout the old testament mostly though from psalm 14 53 12 and isaiah 57 the most important thing about this is the only way wherever that we will ever be convicted of our true condition so that we do seek mercy and that we might be joyful in God's grace is if God comes To us, by his word, and takes away the veil. And we still need to hear the voice of the Son of God. Or we will always believe a lie about ourselves. We have to hear the voice of the Son of God calling us out of darkness. Or we are still with Lazarus in the tomb. And we are still with Bartimaeus by the side of the road, blind, unable to see, and unwilling to admit the truth about ourselves, dead in our trespasses and our sins. So let's go through these verses. Paul in verse 10 makes an important statement, which is from Psalm 14. There is none righteous, no, not one. By the way, what is righteousness here? Righteousness is not a general kind of goodness that other people will say, oh, that guy looks really like he's a good person. This is a righteousness that is perfect before Almighty God and will stand up to his gaze. And if you do not have this righteousness, you will go to hell. You know, you can take trips all over the world and do good for all kinds of people. You can give away all of your money to the poor. You can work really hard and be a good and noble man or woman. But if you do not have this righteousness, man, woman, or child, you will go to hell. Because this isn't a righteousness that we play games with. This is God's own holy character and we have to have a righteousness that will meet his gaze with unflinching eyes that stand up before his verdict and remember who he is he is the revealer of all secrets he is the searcher of the thoughts and the intents of the heart he doesn't look at what we wear he doesn't ask hey what do you think of chris Oh, you think he's a great guy? Okay, well, I'll let him in then. No, he doesn't need anyone teaching him his job. He sees all and he knows all and before him, none can escape. Now, remember, Paul is writing this to Christians. So don't think I'm being hard on you now. This is written with Christians in mind to remind us of our need to be honest before God and to repent of our sins. No one has this righteousness. No one. Had God not given it to us as a gift, which Paul will begin to speak about in verse 21. Every single man, woman, and child ever born would immediately go to, di- go to hell upon their death. God has to do that. We can't. And you know, without God's grace, our lives start looking miserable as we see in the world today. And some of the vestiges of it are still even in our own lives. There is none who understand. There is none who seeks after God. What? Me? Not seek after God? I mean, I live, breathe, move, and have my existence in Him. But sin set up dominion in our lives Because of the fall of Adam. And we don't want to seek God. We want to hide. And the vestige of that is still within us as Christians, my friends. You know, we should never have to be told to pray. We ought never have to be commanded to seek God and read his word. Adam didn't. It was the reflex of his own soul made in God's image to seek God. But not when we are under sin, then it becomes our reflex to hide from God and to be blind in our understanding. In verse 12, with our hearts being darkened, we all go out of the way. We don't want to walk in the safe pastures of God's word. People think of scripture as a fence, and some people don't like fences They say, I want to be free to follow wherever the Holy Spirit wants to take me. But God says, no, no. Freedom is not good for you except within the boundaries of my wisdom, which is my word. But we don't want to do that, do we? We want to do what we please, think our own thoughts, go our own way. And as a result, continuing there in verse 12, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. The word unprofitable can be used as useless, worthless. Oh, that is us. We are useless to ourselves. We are useless to others. We are useless to God. This is what sin does to us. We see this very vividly in our culture because most Christians are more interested in building their own little kingdom than God's.